Welcome to the Rebel Soul Podcast. If you're a coach, healer, or creative who has a calling in your soul to turn your unique gifts into a business that lights you, your clients, and your bank account up, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Lauren Ciesco, the queen of spiritual sales, self-sabotage expert, intuitive business coach, and a rebel soul. Each episode is intentionally designed to shift your soul and give your mind proof that it is possible to make money for your soul gifts, build a business without all the rules or hustle, and have fun along the way. Welcome home, Rebel Souls. Welcome back, my beautiful souls. This is episode eight, Healing Launch Trauma with Tavana Denise. Now, I wanted to create a special intro for this podcast just to give you guys context so that this could be very, very powerful for you in healing any launch trauma that's happened in your life. And to be honest, launch trauma is a brand new term. I've never even heard of it, but we're going to dive deep into what it is in this episode. But first, I want to talk about what is a launch. Okay. Now a launch is an intentional period of time where you offer something like an offer. It's usually an offer, right? So somebody can buy an offer from you. There are different types of launches, right? So somebody can have a business launch where they're like, okay, I'm launched my business. I am now open for business. You can come and buy. And then there's launches that you can do for group programs, You could even do a launch for a one-on-one offer. Even if you just have one offer that you're offering all the time, you can consider launch modes or a period of time where you intentionally focus on selling it. I've also have had launches for free things like masterclasses. So a launch is just a period of time where you're intentionally selling your offer. And it really doesn't matter where you are in your business. You're going to get so much from this episode. And really what we're talking about at the core of it is just the emotions that get in our way from putting our offer out there. So I am so excited to have Devana Denise on this podcast. She helps coaches with really redesigning their business so they can actually have a lifestyle and impact for why they even started their business. She's a former physical therapist, a master certified coach, a business mentor, and she is the creator of launch therapy, which is a process that helps coaches launch their programs with ease so that they can bring in their favorite clients consistently without suffering from launch burnout and hating the process. And that's, as you know, what we talk about in this podcast is doing things differently, doing things from joy, doing things your way. And so this is so perfectly aligned to what we talk about. So without any further ado, enjoy this episode. Hello there, Rebel Souls, and welcome back. I am so excited for today's guest. With me is not only somebody who is a rock star in the coaching industry and helping people with not feeling miserable during their launches, but she has become a friend of mine, a coach friend over the year. And I am so excited to have Tavana on the show today. Well, I'm so excited to dive into this. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for just who you are in the world. Oh, thank you. I feel the same way. And I have to be honest with you guys. I think 
one of the big main reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is so I could just have conversations with my coach friends. And, um, a couple of weeks ago, you guys heard the conversation with Jen Navarro. And I talked about how, you know, we would ch- chat and I'd be like, I just want to record all of our conversations to like share with the world. And I feel the same exact way with Tavana. We have been having conversations probably for like, I guess, wait, so we first actually met in a clubhouse chat and how we became friends is because the chat that we were in was kind of a controversial topic. It was really about like opening Pandora's box and some of the things that we were seeing in the coaching industry specifically that were making us like cringe. And we bonded over some topics that we both sided on the same way and felt very passionate about. And from there, we just started, you know, supporting each other and our businesses and really, and what I love about talking with you, Tavana, is that we're not just talking about us and our businesses, but we're always thinking about the whole picture of how the industry and other people are functioning and and taking it from this like much bigger view, which is why I'm just so happy to have you on here because it's, it really is so uplifting and just a beautiful view that you bring to all of the conversations. Thank you for that. And, and thank you for that acknowledgement because yeah, it, I think the work that I do, I think the work that both of us do, we have clients who are coaches, healers, teachers, but it's really bigger than that. And I think every time we talk, it's like, not just how can we help our businesses, but what do we see and how can we help other people and help other people's businesses too? So yes, so many things that we've talked about. I can't wait to see what comes up during this conversation because it's always like, it's always so healing and stimulating, I think too. Like I walk away from our conversations having such great ideas and new ways of thinking. Yeah. And and I think that it really is about this new way of thinking. And you guys, as you know, this podcast is, is about being a rebel, right? It's about doing things opposite <laughs> of what other people are saying. And I think one of the things that really we bonded over in our businesses is learning how to kind of step aside and do things a little bit differently than other people, instead of going with the status quo of what we're told. And me and you have, we're both actually trained from the same school, the life coach school, which has an amazing community. Um, and some amazing people that have come out of that community. But I think as coaches, we can get caught up in looking at other people and wanting to be like them and thinking like, well, if they did it, then I need to do it that way. And like wanting to kind of fit in and, me and you both have stories of, of doing it the quote unquote right way or like trying to play by the rules. But then after a certain point being like, oh, wait, that only gets you to some point. But really the thing that maintains you and makes it sustainable and lights you up is when you're able to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, not just differently, but do them authentically, like do yeah. them in the way that feels good to your soul, because I just have noticed it myself and other people all the time. And maybe you hear this too, Lauren. It's like, so-and-so said to do this, but so-and-so said to do that. And it's so interesting because when I'm talking with the person and we just are in our little safe little bubble for a second and we're just experimenting and no ideas off the table, no ideas wrong. As I'm listening to them and asking questions and reading energy, like I pick up on cues and I'm like, ooh something changed there. Let's go down this path and let's see what, let's see what unfolds. And you hear some of the most 
brilliant ideas that I've never ever heard of. And I'm a, a student of my craft. And then they shut themselves down. But so and so said, but so and so does it this way. And it this is not to shame anyone for doing that because it makes perfect sense why we do that. We, many of us, were raised in a society where in order to get ahead, in order to belong, in order to connect, we have to be like everyone else, or we have to follow the rules, or we have to stay in the line, or we have to stay in the color inside of the box and all of these things. And so as I mix my metaphors here, it's like, we it, it's a safety mechanism. And so I think once I got beyond just the cognitive part, and I started diving into trauma work and being a trauma-informed coach, it just made so much sense. And so if, if you take nothing else from what, what I say today, is like what you do makes sense. Oh, I just want to sit with that for a minute because it, it does. It's what makes sense feels good. And if you're confused, then it's not for you or something is like out of alignment, right? It, it really gets to be that simple. Um, I want to go back to this trauma-informed coaching because I think that this is, um, I think, to be honest, I think a really newer thing in the coaching industry because even the coaching industry itself is in its infancy, infancy, right? And it's kind of been a little bit of a wild, wild west of people coming in and like, there's been some really good things that have happened. And then there's been, you know, coaches that have come in and have not done so, so much good stuff for the coaching industry. And I think that people like, when we've had these conversations, like where it's like people like me and you, and a lot of the networks that we run in, it's, we're very conscious about how we're showing up in the imprint that we're leaving in the coaching industry and the ripple effect that it has on people. So tell me how, like, what made you go into this trauma informed work? Well, it's because I'm, I'm a very strategic thinker, even though I'm a, an intuit, an empath, and I follow energy. I also think about like, how, what's the simplest way to get from A to Z also. And I work with very, 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 very intelligent people who've done amazing things in their lives. And so what I started to notice was that people would come to me with the, an idea that they had, a strategy that they came up with, or something that makes perfect sense when we lay it out. And when it's time to press go, they freeze. Or they start spinning around. They want to change everything at the last minute or they want to add pack so much more into it, or they start fighting me against something that they came to me with. And I was like, what is happening? This is so weird. I don't understand. Like everything's ready to go. What's happening? And so as I saw this happen over and over again, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And my background is as a physical therapist. So in healthcare, whenever we start to butt up against a similar pattern or a theme or something over and over again, my natural inclination is to go figure out like, well, what's wrong? Um, what other tool or skill do I need to help these clients? Or in that case would have been these patients. And so I happened to go to a class where someone mentioned trauma responses. And it never even dawned on me, even though I was a physical therapist for 19 years, practicing for 19 years, that fight, flight, freeze are all stress and trauma responses. And then I was introduced to fawn, 
which is fit in. So if I were to go back and say the fight was whenever you feel yourself resisting or fighting against your coach or you hear your client fighting or resisting against you, that person might be in a fight response. If just like I described before, everything's ready to go, everything's laid out. And when it's time to press record, it's time to hit post, it's time to do the thing, then the person's like, I can't. And all of a sudden other priorities get in the way. Um, or if a person starts changing a bunch of stuff, that's the flight response. And so I started noticing those, but the one thing that I was not familiar with in all my years of practice was the fawn response, which means to fit in. And I think that's a little bit what you were re uh, relating to earlier, Lauren, when you were saying so often we, we go through these schools and we see our favorite mentors, coaches, people, teachers, doing a certain thing and we want to fit in, we want to belong. So even if, or even though it doesn't quite feel right inside of us, we fall in, we fit in, we do the thing because we want to fit in, we want to belong. And it, that is a trauma or stress response. Yeah. So good. I had the same exact experience within my business too, where, you know, I would, work with these amazing people who in their soul, they're like, no, they're meant to do this work, right? It's like, that's all they can think about it. They want it. The desire is there. But then when it comes to taking action or, you know, there's all of this emotional, which I call emotional coding, which is also trauma from the past. Um, it's that's in their way. And, you know, and, and I'm so happy that this emotional work is coming up as I knew it would in this conversation, because it is, it's, it's the emotional resiliency that we have to develop and be aware of our emotions and understand how they work really in order to do this kind of work. Right. And we think it's the strategy that's going to get us to the results. We think it's having the right coach and that will help. And both of them will help at the right time, but ultimately it ends up being this inner emotional game, this game of being able to not only learn how to feel your emotions, but take action when it feels uncomfortable. And know when is a time to take action and when is a time to stop and release the emotions. And my work, and it's interesting, like I think back now to how I ran my business in the past and I was working like 60 hours a week and it was all action and a lot of like spinning out action where now I work maybe 20, 30 hours a week, depending on the week. And some of the action is actually just me sitting and like feeling my emotions and shifting my emotions. Like if, if, if somebody was a fly in the wall in my house, they'd be very confused sometimes where like what I would call is, is working is would be like me just sitting in a chair or somebody's like, why is she just sitting there for an hour? And it's because I'm literally processing emotions and like doing the work. And that's the thing that is able to then get me into this place where everything is possible. Yeah. I mean, and it's depending on your background, um, your culture, your ethnicity, your sex, like depending on all of that stuff, it might like we're talking to you and you're like, mm, I don't have time for that. I don't want to open Pandora's box. I don't want to start crying because if I start crying, I probably won't stop. Like all of those things are running through my mind when I started this work. And what I want to tell you is there's so much ease on the other side. Yeah, it's probably going to suck. 
in the beginning. If you've been holding down emotions, if there are certain what I call no-go emotions in your life, those are the emotions where we don't want to touch those with a 10-foot pole because of what we think they will do to us. And I'll give you a personal example. One of mine for so many years that I could not access was anger. It was one of my trauma responses, like, do not get angry. And when I thought about it, the reason why I didn't want to be angry is I had the story of somebody's going to get hurt. And so I was very afraid of that emotion. And so it caused me to do a lot of things to avoid it, to buffer against it, to like just do all of these things. And in the end, I was the one that was getting hurt because when we trap our emotions in our nervous system, this is when we see it, the, the physiology is where it comes out. In my work as a physical therapist, people had chronic pain, they called it fibromyalgia, but really what I noticed, and as my, my work comes full circle, really what I noticed was a lot of trapped emotions that were unable to, unable or unwilling to be released from the body. Yeah, so good. So I know the work that you do, and I know you're really into helping people with launch, like launch launches, and you talk about this term and I love so much called a launch trauma. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about that and like how that came to be for like, based off your, your observations and working with people. Yeah. Well, I started down the, just the general trauma rabbit hole. And then I noticed as I was helping people do like learn how to launch, do their first launches, these things were coming up. So it, it usually rears its head and the first or the second launch. This is what I'm noticing. So either a person puts their heart and their soul and they do all, take all the action, do all the things, follow the blueprint, roadmap, checklist, da, da, da. And they're just working so hard and the launch doesn't go how they expect it. And that person feels uh, devastated because they're like, but wait a minute, I did everything. I did all the things. I did what you told me to do. And so there's that. I see it come up that way. Then the other thing that happens is either the first launch doesn't go like they thought it would, or the first launch goes way better than anticipated. For all intents and purposes, it's a successful launch. You're like, yes, I'm the, I'm it. You know, I can, launches are, launches are easy. I think that's really at the crux of it. That's what happens in their minds. So then they go to launch number two and try to repeat. And then something happens that I call the sophomore curse. Because between launch number one and launch number two, usually what has happened on launch number one is this person was in play mode. They were in experimentation mode. They were just having a lot of fun. They were just following their gut, their intuition, whatever. And they were just, it, there was really what happened was there were no expectations on it. And so they were able to create from that energetic space. And because of that, they were able to allow a lot in. But then between that first and the second one, what I see people do is like, oh my gosh, that either that one was a fluke or now I've got to do it right. And I got to put some structure around it. And then that's when they go look for the strategy. They look for the guru. They look for the checklist, the blueprint, the roadmap. And then it gets all tight and stuffy. And then the second one tanks. And then they go, then that's permission to them to say, see, that first one was a fluke. I knew I couldn't do it. And so then they too are devastated or disappointed or whatever your no-go emotion is. And the challenge with that is then 
they start to hate the launches, blame themselves, blame the person, the strategy, blame the person that gave them the strategy. And usually, unfortunately, that's when people quit because either they're going to change one of those major things. They're going to change their offer. They're going to stop working with the coach. They're going to stop using the strategy and thus and so forth. And so that's, that's what I tend to see happen in the launches. So what I've started to tell people is like, if you can get to number three, you're basically home free. So good. Oh, I am so happy that we're talking about this because I think it's so important for people to hear this, to, to know that this is a real thing. And I actually experienced this with my second round of effortless sales. And when my, me and Jen launched our second round of the mastermind, and we actually just told, went deep onto this in our last episode that we did. So this is so great. So let me ask you this then, knowing that this happens, how do people prevent this like sophomore slump from happening? Like what's, what's your, like, if you could give like a little like tidbit, I mean, I know that you walk people through this and you're like the master at making it fun, but what would you want them to know that the things that they could do right now? Yeah, I think it depends on, it really depends on how you're looking at it. So I would say, what are the expectations you're putting on the next launch or for the the second launch? Like, can you get back into experimentation, into play mode, into fun, get back, shift back into your mission? Because usually I see people start to shift everything onto themselves over the mission. It's like, oh, I have to repeat the sales or I have to beat the sales or people are looking at me or everybody will know, or I did this on the first one. So I have to do this on the second. So when we do that, that's when it's on me, I say, but then when you shift back to the mission, like, why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? What is the ultimate goal that we're trying to achieve? It just releases a lot of the pressure. So it's an, it's a little bit more individual, but I would say, look at, are you putting pressure on yourself for the second one, for whatever reason and see, do whatever you have to do to release that pressure. Because here's the thing, if we remember that we created this offer as a soul, yes, meaning when it was safe, when we were in a nice little bubble and this is what our soul wanted to say yes to, then that's what we're supposed to be doing. What we get trapped in the moment and forget that we're in business for the long haul. So if we think about this as being something that we will be doing for at least the next one, two, three years at minimum, then what does one launch mean? Not much in the grand scheme of things, because if we keep doing it, it has, it can only get better as long as we don't quit. And as long as we don't make too many major changes each time. And when we do make the changes, they're based in um, abundance instead of scarcity. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And I think another thing that like, I know from my experience with like after launches is really looking at our emotions and that when we, after the thing happens, there's like this, um, there's a little bit of an emotional wave and not to make decisions when you're feeling the emotions, right? Like afterwards. And I think that this is like a huge thing that I see where, and actually I'm going to tell a very vulnerable story and I've never shared this publicly, but I feel like it's, it's really meant to, to, to bring now. So after my second round, so I've done effortless sales, my signature program two times now, and they were both live. And after my second round of effortless sales, and I had the little, 
I, in general, they were both fairly successful, but the second one wasn't as successful as I thought it was because once again, I put so much pressure, I got out of the play of it. And after the end of it, it felt like I was disappointed in myself, right? Like I had all of these negative emotions about like, Hey, it wasn't what I thought. And from that place of having doubt and actually feeling like what I had created was like too, so much of a program. It, I felt like it was so big. I'm like, Oh, I have to break it up and I have to do all these things because from this place of being disappointed in myself and having all these emotions, I tried to change the strategy or tried to change the actual thing to fix it instead of actually looking at my emotions and being curious and seeing that all of the stories that were coming up were just bullshit. And what actually happened is after that, me and Jen got really, went really deep into our podcast. And then the mastermind came up and me and Jen decided to both go all in our mastermind. And I like kind of gave up effortless sales. I was like, Oh, nope. That just like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore because this feels better. This feels like fun. And that was the right thing to do now. But after going on this year journey and then, you know, doing the thing with Jen and then coming back being like, what do I really want to do? I sat down one day and I was like, what do I really want to do? What do I, what's my zone of genius? And I'm like, it's sales, it's signing clients. I'm like, okay, if I were to teach this to the world, how would I teach it? Knowing what I know and like wrote it all down. And I looked at it and I was like, this is effortless sales. This is the program that I created. This is what I meant to do. But I walked away and I went down a whole other path for six months because I made decisions from a place of emotions after a launch. And 100%. right. And now it's like, I see this with my clients where they're like, oh, I need to Oh, this offer didn't work. I need to change a strategy or I need to change my niche or I need to do something where no, it, it didn't work because of an, because of the emotions, because of a misalignment, you can still get those results, but it's after coming and cl literally clearing the emotions and questioning things and poking holes at the bullshit lies and, and coming back to like, Oh wait, like this is what's meant for me and getting to a place of calm and not making decisions about your business when you're in those emotional rises. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see it so often now. I'm like, my heart just bleeds every time I hear this story because it's two people get to one or two launches and that's it. And the first thing to go is the offer. And I'm like, oh no, please don't do that because the world needs this offer. But here's what we know about emotions. Like humans are designed to seek pleasure and avoid pain. And so if disappointment feels awful, devastation feels awful, doubt feels awful, we're going to do whatever we need to do to get away from that emotion. And in this case, the, the fastest and easiest thing that we can point to is the thing that we were selling. It's the thing. And so that's where the, the trauma work comes in, the emotional clearing work comes in, the being present with the little version of ourselves that said, hey, I have this thing, like I, I brought this game or I have this ball, do you wanna play with me? And you offer to play with someone and not as many people say yes as you thought or nobody says yes. And then what does the little version of us say? What does little Tavana say about that? What does little Lauren say? Oh, nobody loves me, this was terrible. I should throw this ball out and go home. And that's the person, the little version of us, the inner child that wanted to be witnessed that wants to know, like, it doesn't matter how many people say yes to play with you. I'm here with you. I want to be with you. Yeah, so good. And, and I know you can, you will agree with this, but the more I have an understanding of 
how emotions work and have the skill set to release the emotions and really do this emotional work on a daily basis, the easier quote unquote, my businesses come or like the, uh, my ability to like show up and without the resistance of it. Right. And it's just a tool set. It's just a way of looking at, actually, I want to put it this way. When you have mastery over your emotions, when you have, and it's not that they don't ever come. So you don't feel anything and it's like this easy road, but it's knowing that the emotions can come and when they come that you have the ability to ride that wave, that really is the freedom in the business, right? So now after doing this for five years, when the negative emotions come, when it comes, I'm like, oh, there it is. It's not a big deal. I'm just going to ride this. And therefore it doesn't make it any better. And I'm able to get, get it, make it any worse. And I'm able to release it and get out of it faster. So it's the judgments of the actual feelings and thinking that it shouldn't be there and the resistance of the feelings that makes it so hard. And especially when we go through a launch and we don't take the time to clear the emotions and get into a good place before we move forward, we're going to always emotionally have baggage around that launch. It's going to make it feel heavier every time we go to launch again. Right. And then we're going to run away from the uncomfortable feelings. And so then eventually it's like, we're not launching ever at all (laughs) because we don't want to feel that. Because it's but so many times I found that people will pick themselves up again to create another offer. That is only going to work so many times to the point where people will just not do it ever again. And then then they're relegated to maybe doing one-on-one when that's not necessarily what they want it to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So true. All right. So I want to, I want to know what else, what other tips you have for people when it comes to even just showing up, right. With like your gifts, what is like, what is your favorite way for showing up and like expressing to the world? Like, well, how do you make it feel easy? How do I make it feel easy for me? And I don't know, do you, have you talked about human design with the people yet? Please, please go into that. Please go in. Oh, okay. Oh, yay. I get to introduce human design. So I, this is my very, very, very limited knowledge of human design, but there are four, five types, energy types in the world, and they all interact in different ways. And the the bare basics of it is some types are designed to initiate, certain types are designed to guide, other types are designed to reflect how things are going, and Mm -hmm. the other type is designed to uh, basically be the worker bees. And I'm one of the worker bees, we call generators. And by the name, we just have a lot of energy. So once I go to sleep, once I wake up, got plenty of energy, especially if I'm working on something I am super jazzed about. It's, it's like to the point where some of us can be called obsessive, like don't bother me when I'm working on a project that I'm really enjoying. And so in how do I use that to be visible in a way that feels easeful is I try to find things to respond to because that's another part of my particular type of human design as a generator is we respond best to, we respond. That's how we do. If we see something in the world um, doing this, I'm responding in real time to your questions. If we see things that happen with our clients. And so I find for myself, I can bang out a three to 500 word email, blog post, no problem with two thumbs right after a coaching session. 
especially if something out of the ordinary happens. If I'm in a Facebook group and something happens, I can literally feel it in me and then I have to get it out. If someone asks me a question. So I really try to put myself in positions where I have to respond to something. Whereas with another type where their whole way of being in the world is to initiate and that's called a manifester, they are designed to initiate. So for them, to come up with new concepts off the top of their head without anybody else around them, that's their jam. I cannot do that. <laughs> I have to, I mean, I can do it, but it takes so much time and energy. It's like, why? Why not just lean into my strengths and how I naturally work? So that's, um, that's how that group works. And then the other main group is the projector and they are the guides of the world. And so they're how they function is to be invited to something. So they get to bring their gifts to an invitation of sorts. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to wait in the traditional way for somebody to invite you to a podcast or to be their client or whatever. It just means just like with me to respond. It doesn't mean I have to be responding to somebody directly, but I get to think create creatively on how I can put myself in position to respond. Oh man, I love I love going down this direction with the human design. I myself am a projector, so I definitely know. And it's interesting, like my whole thing is I just gotta be lit up, right? Like I gotta be lit up. It's gotta be like a hell yes for me. And and it goes out there. And I think that once again, even with human design, we can't let it limit us, right? Where I think that it's it's a helpful tool to understand and I use it, but I think that sometimes we can go to the extremes and like put ourselves and be like, oh, well, I have to be wait to be inv invited. So I'm just going to wait back here. <laughs> right. And that's why I said it the way I did, because I'm like, oh, you projectors. No, no, no. Don't take that and use it against yourself. And, and just the way I think about it is human design is not prescriptive, at least yeah. in the way that I see it. It is just like really any other personality test that you've taken honestly. <laughs> but I like it because I don't have to answer any questions other than when's my birthday, what time was I born and where was I born? Because then that way it's like, oh, yeah, I've noticed that I do that. I noticed that I feel better when I do that. And then I can just lean in. If, if yeah. I don't resonate with something that's said, then it's like, okay, not for me. Right. And I think that's a beautiful way just to approach life and to approach business. One of my friends I was telling, she uh, that I never go into a group program and do all the modules, never, ever. And she was like, oh, a guest. And I was like, why? She's like, but, but, you know, still in the good student mode. And I'm like, no, whenever I go into a program, I'm very clear about what this person can help me with, what they can teach me and what I need to achieve the next goal. And then I go directly for that. And then if I pick up other things for sure, but I'm not going to relegate myself to doing all the things perfectly before I take action. Yes. I love it. And I know when human design kind of came into my life, I realized, right, because there's five different types. I was like, oh, wait, it's not a one strategy and coaches and, and formulas are not a one size fits all. It's gave me permission to take whatever the strategy was and then be like, okay, how does this align to me? And how does this feel to me? So I think it's just, I think it's beautiful to like, take programs and make them their own, right? Like, I love that you, and I'm the same way, like, I'll just get what I came for. Like, I don't need to do all of the things. 
And it's, it's so beautiful to have that permission to like do it your way. And I really think that human design just gives that everybody that permission. Yeah. And, and to be able to advocate for yourself, right? So when you're in a program, it's okay. Just, and it, it does, I guess, depending on what per, a person's background was like in going through a school system. So I am, I was the first person in my family not to go into the educational system. So all my mom, her sisters, everybody were teachers. So I grew up being a person who could ask, felt like I could ask the teacher questions, felt like if I didn't understand something that I would ask again, advocate for myself. But I think a lot of people don't feel permission to do that, especially when they're in these group settings that a little bit mirror or mimic the school setting. So it's like, oh, that's the authority. That's the teacher. They know the way. Don't talk back. Don't ask questions. And I'm like, no, let's advocate for yourself. Because here's the thing, not only will it help you, it will help the other people in the container, it will help the future people because it will give the the uh, coach some insight into something that they may have missed. Because if we just talked about there being five different types, energetic types in human design, especially if we didn't come from uh, program design or educational background, why would we think that we would be really skilled at designing programs for different types of learners. We just tend to sell the way that we want to be sold to, or we tend to teach the way that we like to learn. And so by, by you speaking up and advocating for yourself, you are literally helping everybody. Yes, so true. It's like the ripple of the world when you're speaking up. It's like other people, it's not just for you, it's for them. It's for the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Another question for you. If you could go back to yourself when you first started your business, what is the one piece of advice that you would, that you would give yourself then? All emotions are welcome here. Don't be afraid of it. Doesn't mean that you've done something wrong or that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. So beautiful. For those that are listening that are maybe you're a little bit more curious about like, oh, maybe there is some, something to this emotional, emotional coding, this emotional trauma. And they're looking to kind of just get started. What would, what would your advice be to them? Like, what's the first few steps for somebody to really understand more about their emotions and how to make it so that it's not in their way of their business? I think the changing the wording of the questions that we ask ourselves from what do I need to do here to what am I feeling right now? Just like ask yourself, like, what am I feeling right now? Anytime you're doing something that's against what you say you want to be doing, or you're not doing something that you know would help you get to where you want to go, we so often like, why am I doing that? And, and I would just ask, change the question. What am I feeling right now? And then the follow-up question is why? Yes. Oh, that's so good to question things, right? Because when you, and I think too, when you start questioning things, you automatically kind of change your story, which can shift your feeling in the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's so much relief. I think one of the biggest things that my clients get from me is a sense of relief. It's like, there's nothing wrong with me. That's the biggest thing in all of it. Nothing has gone wrong here. There's nothing wrong with me this one launch that didn't go the way I anticipated doesn't mean that I'm doomed to fail forever. And I have to go back to my job that I hate or whatever, like whatever it is for you. 
Yeah, that's such, it's so beautiful to get to that place. And I think that our ability to shift back into the like, I'm okay, I'm safe in this very moment, like is such a key point. It's like a reset place that ends up being the safety in my business where I'm like, oh wait, okay, this is just a fear. I'm actually safe. I'm in this beautiful place right now. I'm, I'm safe in my body. And like, I think that when people can realize that it's, we're okay and that nothing's gone wrong. And I, that was like my mantra to myself, like the first year and a half of my business, like no, wait, nothing's gone wrong. Cause it's like, it's a little bit traumatic at first when we were starting a business, like all these unknowns and all of this things going on. So to get back to this place, is just so beautiful. Yeah, I was just reading something earlier today where the person said the beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. Ooh, that is a good one. Okay, any last minute thoughts, little, anything else, little nuggets that you would like to leave? Oh, the last main nugget that I would say, we talked a lot about the emotions, but I also, there, there is some strategy to things, right? So what I would ask anybody to do, because not, not many of us either know how to do it, or we don't make time to do it, or we're afraid to do it, is to evaluate your launch afterwards from a real perspective. Like, let's get some data, let's get some numbers, let's get some facts on paper, because so often I've heard people say it failed, the launch. And we haven't even decided, one, ahead of time what success was. But two, sometimes I hear people say the launch failed, but they make just as much or close to the same amount of money as they did from the first one. So what failed again? Or maybe they don't get as many clients as they want, but they don't realize of the, the various steps and of which I teach there are five steps of a launch, they may have gotten way more numbers in each of the four steps. And then it's just that last part. So it's like, oh, there's only one piece here that you need to turn up that would have resulted in. So you just need to do it again and work on this piece. And so that's why it is so, so important for us to actually thoroughly evaluate the launch so we can see like in real time what exactly happened where exactly do we need to make some tweaks yeah so good and it I think it's so helpful for to like help direct the mind to the things that are working versus and focus on on the things that are not right and it's like when you do take the evaluation you have like hard proof and evidence to like direct your your brain to so that's such a such a good little piece of advice there absolutely um so you guys, Tavana has a podcast herself as well. It's amazing. I have been a guest on it. I want to, I want you to tell everyone where they can find you so that you guys can, you guys have to continue to follow her. If you want to hear some more of her amazing little nuggets and some more interviews, you can go follow her on her podcast. I'll let you tell everybody all the details of where they can find you. Yeah, the, the best way to find me is TavanaDenise.com. So that's T-A-V as in Victor, O-N-A. D-E-N-I-S-E.com. And it's at Tavana Denise on Instagram. That's another place where I am pretty regularly. And then I also have a podcast too called Coaching and Conversations, which depending on when this is released, may have shift to, shifted to launch conversations. So that's what we got. Yay. I love it. So exciting. And I'll make sure that all of that is linked up into the show notes that you guys will easily be able to go over there and connect and listen to even more great, amazing conversations and wisdom. And 
Javana, thank you so much for coming on here. I feel like this conversation has been like in the unfolding for a while since we met in like a clubhouse room. And I just remember like feeling so lit up by like so many of our conversations and like just the passion that has come from like us getting together and like getting to, to like really talk about the good, the bad and the ugly of like what goes on behind the scenes. And I'm so happy that we were able to bring a little bit, a little bit of what we talk about to, to everybody here listening with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope this was helpful. Absolutely. And thank you guys for tuning in and I will see you next week. <laughs>